Hi everyone, welcome back to Ask the Expert. My name is Christy, I'm one of the youth advisors on the Cannabis and Psychosis Project, and I'm really excited today to be talking to my good friend, John Fry. He is a Red Seal horticulturist from Ontario, and he went to Humber College to study horticulture, where he was soft scaping award and was valedictorian for his graduating class. And he's passionate about all things green. Thanks so much for being here, John. Oh, thanks for having me, Christy. So today we are talking about growing safer and smarter. Um, cannabis cultivation is something that we haven't really talked about very much with Explore the Link, but when we had an opportunity to talk to John here about how to reduce some of the harms associated with growing your own cannabis, we really wanted to dig in and start the conversation. So before we get started, we did want to mention that um, there is some issues around the legality of personal cultivation of cannabis in Canada. So I'm going to send out a link in the chat to a map that has a lot of helpful information about cannabis legislation by province. And this link is an interactive map where you can find information about cannabis legislation by province. Um, you can select different categories or topics to learn more about the differing rules in your location. And if you click on the personal cultivation topic, the map will show you where it is legal to grow cannabis for your personal use. So with the exception of Quebec and Manitoba and with limited allowance in Nunavut, you can legally grow your own cannabis across Canada. So this map is a really great resource for any other questions you might have about cannabis legislation. Um, and to learn more about a specific province, you can click through from the map to find a short summary of their provincial legislation. Um, and we just wanted to clarify before we start that before you choose to grow your own cannabis, it's really important to review the legislation in your province and be aware of any restrictions or rules around personal cultivation. So for example, the rules may vary under tenancy law if you're a renter and other things like that. So now that we've got all the uh, legislation piece out of the way, we can dig into some of the questions. So John, why don't you tell us about how you got started cultivating your own cannabis? So uh, it actually started um, because I, I had a background in horticulture and uh, a close uh, friend of mine wanted to get started. Um, so he asked me if I could give him a hand and um, I ended up uh, just jumping in and helping him out. And uh, before I knew it, there's all this new information that I was surrounded by and I was reading new books and uh, just really getting dug down into it and learning a lot more about it and, and opening my eyes um, to, to how much more knowledge there is to be found in this industry. Awesome. So when you started for the first time, what were some of the first steps that you took um, to learn more about the process and Kind of what was to lay the groundwork for getting started? Uh, well, when I first got started, one of the most important things was to figure out what we were going to grow, what plant it was, because um, there's there's two different kinds. Uh, you have your photoperiod plants and your autoflower plants. So if you're using an autoflower, pretty much just just does everything for you. You don't have to adjust your light cycles. You don't have to worry about um, a lot of things that like your temperatures and stuff like you would with a photo period. Um, so the first thing to do was to find a nice user-friendly um, plant to start with. 
and uh, we got started. And, um, you know, I, truly it was pretty organic learning curve. You get started and, uh, you know, even as a Red Seal horticulturalist, you have a couple of failures along the way and uh, you just improve as, as you learn. So when you talk about failures, what does that look like when you're cultivating your own cannabis? Well, uh, I guess a failure would look like a dead plant. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve, especially when you're growing indoor versus somebody being used to growing everything outside and garden beds and stuff like that. Um, you've got to be aware of your water. The two biggest killers are going to be either overwatering it or underwatering it. And um, th those failures will happen at the beginning until you figure out the balance um, that you need for, for your water. Awesome. So when you first started cultivating cannabis, what were some of the things that you chose to do to kind of reduce some of the potential harms, say, trying your, your cannabis that you've cultivated for the first time and, yeah, trying out different strains and different potencies, that sort of thing? Well, um, one of the most important things is to know what you grow. Uh, when you purchase a cultivar, it will tell you what the maximum maximum potential THC and CBD are in it. So if you know, it, it says on the label 22% THC, that is the upward limit that you can hit with your THC. So just knowing what potential you have is very important. And of course, like consuming any any kind of cannabis products, it's important you go low and slow. So you use a low dosage and you go slow, slowly with your dosing. Um, only use things that you're sure of if you're using fertilizers or pesticides. You know, don't go to home hardware and buy something that says insect killer and spray it on your plants. You know, uh, it's important to, to use things that you're com comfortable with and confident of putting into your body. Um, and I, I think that that's really important to consider for safety. Something else that maybe um, people might look past is, is inspecting the product before you actually go through with consuming it, taking a jeweler's loop and just looking at it and expecting for mold or mites, you know, any kind of contaminants that can really affect um, your product. And it could be a bad time. Now, I know you mentioned before, and this kind of ties into pesticides and something like that, but you've mentioned to me before that you know you knew someone who had used mite spray on their plant and it created big problems. So do you want to talk a little bit about pesticides and other things that you need to be a little bit more aware of um, and around safety? Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, yeah, like like you were saying, um, yeah, I, I knew somebody who used a miticide on their plant and their plant started browning around the edges and, and dying off. And they're saying, what the heck happened here? And uh, it was because they had sprayed this plant with this um, high grade uh, pesticide. And homeowners can just purchase this at uh, most garden centers or, or home hardwares, Canadian tires, things like that. They're very easy to get your hands on, where if you're inside the horticulture or um, greenhouse industry, you have to have a license to spray these things um, in industrial applications. So it's important truly um, to try and avoid pesticides. If you look at a 
integrated pest management strategy, which is basically just a fancy way of saying the way to, pre to prevent um, extreme amounts of pest damage, the first step is to do physical controls. So if you start seeing a disease in your plant, you snip it out. If you start seeing insects, insect damage in, in one centrally located area, you take off that piece. You do whatever you can physically to not only take away the pests, but also to minimize the chances that pests will get there in the first place. So if you're doing an indoor grow, it's very important that you keep a sanitary grow environment. You don't introduce foreign, um, foreign things that can contaminate your grow. Uh, because then you're going to have to go through the steps of your pest management strategy, which the the very last thing you want to do is use any kind of synthetic pesticide. That's the last thing you want to do. And truly for a um, an agricultural product like cannabis, where you have a, a cycle that you're going to go through and it's going to finish in, within, you know, around six to, to nine months max. Um, you don't need to be using a synthetic pesticide to treat it. Okay, great. Can you just explain a, just a little bit, because I may have missed this a little bit, but um, just what are some of the harms maybe associated with using a synthetic pesticide on on cannabis plants? Or yeah, so, so pesticides are um, toxic, you know, most of them. There is some that uh, are more less are less toxic they have a lower ld50 um so your ld50 is the the least lethal dosage um and yeah some of them are less toxic than others like something like neem oil or um you know a horticultural spray or something like that but when you start just going and picking up um whatever you can get your hands on you're starting to mix yourself up with with all kinds of crazy chemicals um, that people are just patenting and selling and they can cause real, real bad effects. They can cause toxicity because they're not meant for, for consuming. When you're using a pesticide in an agricultural um, application, there's a minimum amount of time that needs to happen between the spraying and the shipping out of your product to make it safe to use. And if you're a homeowner spraying a consumable product with it and you don't know this time period, there's a there's a chance that you could do some serious damage to yourself, you know, physically, uh, or even uh, you could have some mental damage happen from it. And my understanding as well is that's not just if you're consuming the plant you cultivated; it could also be with improper storage or exposure as you're using it. Oh, yeah. A lot of different things can go wrong, unfortunately. Fumes, oh, you know, you can have um, a puncture inside of a can that is under pressure and you go into the room and all of a sudden you've got all you're inhaling this this dangerous chemical all kinds of things can go wrong which is why we really try to limit our exposure to any kind of um, pesticides or synthetic chemicals awesome thanks for sharing uh, maybe we'll take a question from the chat if that sounds good and i will get this up on the screen here so Kira says that she knows when she grows her own food or herbs, she has a much stronger connection to that produce and is much more mindful and appreciative. So she's wondering if you think there's any similar benefit to growing your own cannabis. Oh, that's a great question, Kira. And uh, yeah, definitely. I think that uh, there's, there's a, a benefit like that. Um, when, you, when you produce something yourself, 
you're you understand what has gone through. You've seen it come from a small seed to a, a five foot tall plant, and um, you're you're with it the whole way through. And just like when you're growing your own tomatoes, you know, if you really care about your plant as you're growing it and you're mindful and responsive to problems that happen, the same thing is with cannabis. And if you're you're caring about it and you're mindful, you're never going to have a bad crop or bad yield. So it's very important to be attentive and caring. And um, after you're done, you can enjoy the fruits of your labor and you appreciate it that much more because of the time and effort you put into it. Awesome. Thanks, Kira and John. I'll add one more from the chat up here. Um, so after Joanne is wondering if after she starts her seed up in wet paper towels, what's the best soil to transfer them into for the next step outdoors? Hi, Joanne. So, uh, yeah, that's a the great question. So I guess it depends on what you would want to grow with. You can use a soilless medium, uh, or you can use just regular soil outdoors. What I would recommend if you're growing outdoors in the ground, as opposed to a container grow, is mixing in some manure with some soil and uh, some bark chips to aerate the soil to create some some space inside of the air air pores or some some space inside of the soil pores so that uh, you have the air flow through there because if you have very dense compacted soil it can get soppy and wet and um, you don't have the ability for the, um, the same ability for cationic exchange where you're you're changing around energy between the plant and the ground so it's important to have um, some open pores where air can flow and you can have water flow through it so i'd recommend using organic things like bark chips and some manure mixing that together with the soil that's already in the ground and transferring your seedlings into that. Awesome, great question and great answer. Thank you both. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the difference between growing indoors and outdoors because you kind of opened my eyes up to um, the world of indoor growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, um, <clears throat> there's a, a bunch of benefits to both of them. Um, for somebody who isn't really interested in the input cost, and doesn't want to grow year round, outdoor growing is a great way to go. An important thing to consider is if you have pets or children, you need to make sure that you have a safe space to grow that is protected from um, your pets and your children. So you might want to set up um, some kind of fencing or other child-proof barrier and pet-proof barrier so that um, both your the important people and pets are safe and your product is also safe um, from curious minds. So with outdoor growing, you have a lot less control over your environment. You don't have control over your humidity levels, over your light, over your temperature. Um, but it what happens is it grows. Um, plants are meant to grow outside in the sunlight. And so, you know, your your cannabis won't have a problem with it. There's not a sterile environment like there is inside. So there is the possibility of pests migrating from other yards to yours and you can end up with some um, damage. Uh, strong sunlight and storms can occur. So you have to be aware of all the potential environmental hazards when you're growing outside. When you're growing outside, you have a couple different ways that you can approach it. You can grow in a container where uh, you would get like a, a, say a five gallon pot and you would grow inside of that just above the ground. 
and uh, growing like that, you don't have to water as often because uh, the water doesn't spread out into the ground. It's more central and, and localized, where if you're growing just in the ground, you're gonna have to be more attentive to your plant um, because your water will run off a little bit faster. So you may have to water it more often. Now, if you're growing indoors, um, this is actually the ideal environment as opposed to outdoors because you have full control over your growing environment. You can completely sanitize it and make sure you have no pests or anything like that coming in. You have full control over your lighting, so you can change your lighting cycles from being, instead of outdoors where it's 12 hours day, 12 hours night, to 20 hours of daylight and four hours of night so that you have continual growth. Uh, you can change your humidity by either spraying some mist inside of it or adding a humidifier, putting rocks with some water in it, all kinds of ways of adjusting your humidity, um, your temperatures. It's uh, You have the ability to really customize your grow while doing it indoors. And uh, it's also a lot easier to childproof. You just throw a padlock through your, uh, your two zippers, you zip them together, throw a padlock through that. Um, what would also be a benefit is to put a camera that connects to your phone above your grow tent so you can spot it. And uh, a lot of these cameras have motion sensors, so they'll text your phone if, if motion happens. And it tells you if there's people going and trying to fiddle with your plant. And it's also a great security system in case, um, God forbid, there were to be a fire or something like that, which is pretty unlikely, but it's great to have that security backup. Awesome. Thanks, John. I think we have another chat question that we can get to. So Anne-Marie is wondering why her outdoor leaves are turning brown, even though she doesn't use chemicals. Hmm. Well, uh, there could be uh, a few different reasons for that. Um, could be that maybe somebody nearby um, has or or that yard has a lot of leftover synthetic chemicals in the ground um you have your salt buildups from those synthetic fertilizers although um it would have to be used a lot in the past for that to be the the, the reason i would think it's more likely that maybe you're watering during the daytime and what happens is if you get your water on the leaves, those water droplets act as a magnifying glass. So the light actually penetrates through the water and it's magnified by those water droplets, which can cause the leaves to brown wherever your water is on. Uh, another possibility is the strong sunlight. We have had a lot of um, very, very hot days recently, up to 42 degrees Celsius. On those days, you kind of want to cover your plants with a light fabric, you know, something uh, maybe like a bed sheet, a white bed sheet to reflect the sunlight because very strong sunlight like that can cause burns and cause damage to your plants. So it's it's more than likely a sunlight problem than a, than a um, chemical problem. Um, I would say to watch your, your sunlight, protect your plants from strong sunlight and uh, avoid watering during midday. Try and water during the evening and the early morning before the sun is too strong. Awesome. Good question. Thank you both. Now, I know we touched on this a little bit before, but I'm wondering if we can come back to um, talking about potency and how you balance 
THC and CBD, both of which are contained in cannabis plants. And I know you talked a little bit about that upper limit. Um, maybe you can come back to that and, and go in a bit more detail about what that looks like. Right. Yeah. So um, when you're purchasing your, your cultivar, whatever the seeds are, um, it will say your THC and CBD percentage. So let's just say it says THC 20% and CBD 1%. Those are your upper limits. So your THC will not exceed 20%. Um, if you do everything right and you try and maximize your THC, you'll get a 20% THC. Um, what that means is for every 1,000 milligrams of cannabis, 200 milligrams of that will be THC, 20%. Um, so when you're growing, you have a little bit of control over the feelings that your plant gives you. You don't really have control over the amount of THC and CBD and stuff, but the effect that the cannabinoids give can be changed. So there's two important parts of your plant that you have to be aware of when you're trying to manipulate the effects of your plant. Those are the trichomes and the pistils. The pistils are the little hairs that come off of your plant. They can either be white or red, and you'll see them when the, the plant is uh, approaching maturity. If you have more white than red pistils, you're gonna have a more energized feeling. It's gonna be more of, um, like a, I'll say a THC feeling. It's not exactly more THC per se. It's just a more energized feeling, more uplifted, euphoric feeling. If you have more red pistols than white pistols, you're gonna have more of a couch locked, lethargic feeling. Um, same thing goes for trichomes. The trichomes are the small bubbles that you see when you look at your plant with a jeweler's loop. What those are, are they contain the cannabinoids of the plant. So initially when they start forming, they're going to be um, trans almost transparent, like translucent. So you can look through them, they're gonna be clear. When they're kind of clear like that, you know that it still has time until it's matured. A lot of people who grow prefer it to be at about 50% milky and 50% clear for the maximum THC um, feeling. So the maximum uplifted, energetic, euphoric feeling. As it approaches this milky color, it can continue to mature and turn an amber color. So as your trichomes begin to turn um, amber, you're gonna begin approaching that more lethargic, couch-locked feeling. So a good rule when you're considering how you want your cannabis um, to affect you is the more red it's getting, the more couch locked you're gonna be. So if you're seeing more red trichomes, your amber trichomes, if you're seeing more red um, pistols, you're going to feel a more couch locked, heavy feeling. Um, Super interesting. Thanks, yeah, John. No problem. So one of the thing I was kind of wondering that is not in the chat but um was just coming up when you were talking about this is that is there any difference in indica based plant any difference in terms of how you cultivate those um right so uh sativa and indica um have different growth um habits and indica is going to be a more short stout plant where it, 
um, your sativa is going to be a larger plant. Um, most of our, well, pretty much all of the plants we do grow these days are hybrids. We don't really have any pure indica or pure sativas, truly. Um, growing them is is pretty much um, the same, truly, because like I said, it, it is a hybrid. Maybe some, some will have a higher percentage of uh, sativa family than an indica family, but they grow very similar. Um, yeah, they're not exactly different plants. They are what you would consider like um, species of the plants. So one is your cannabis indica and the other is cannabis sativa, but they both grow like cannabis and uh, have similar growth habits. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so when you were first starting to grow your own cannabis and to cultivate on your own, where did you find your information around how to get started and other safety information or information around legislation in your area, that sort of thing? So um, when I first got started, I, I found um, a very well-educated um, person named Ed Rosenthal. He's an author and um, he's been growing cannabis for a long time. And uh, he wrote Ed Rosenthal's, um, uh, it's called the Marijuana Growers Handbook. And it's a 400 page grow Bible, as you might want to call it, where it covers pretty much everything you could have questions about. Um, so I read that book front to back. That was a great starting point. And from there, you know, uh, YouTube has a wealth of information. Any questions you have, you can kind of look up. But as for my particular area, um, <clears throat> some of the legislation of, of where I could actually purchase seeds that were government approved and stuff, I, I found that information on uh, justice.gc.ca. You can view the Cannabis Act on there. And it covers everything you need to know about the um, growing legislation and any rules and questions you might have about that are covered there. Leafly.ca also is a great resource if you want to cover information on what cultivars you're growing. Um, so if you see one that you're interested in and you want to read reviews about it or see what people think, they have thousands of users that post their experience and what they think about um, those particular cultivars. So Leafly was a great resource um, for discovering what we wanted to grow. And uh, the OCS, um, Ontario Can Cannabis Store website, also has quite a wealth of information about um, harm reduction and um, using cannabis safely. And uh, just, it, it, they have a great blog that you can read on and it has a lot of great information that I recommend to read. Awesome. And if you're located in another province, you can also check out your province's cannabis store. And um, I used to live in BC, so I, I do know that other provinces have pretty comprehensive information available on their websites. We have another question from the chat. So Ray is wanting to grow CBD plants and is wondering what he should be looking for. Yeah, so you want to grow a CBD plant. That's great. Um, I myself did the same thing. I would recommend um, looking into Dynafem seeds. So 
there's quite a bit of plants that you can find that are CBD. Um, Dynafem was the original company to come out with a pure CBD plant, less than 1% THC. So they have the um, Dynamed plant, which is a, I believe, 14% CBD and less than 1% THC plant. Um, so if you look up that plant, you can try that out and uh yeah it's it's pretty pretty much as pure as you're going to get for cbd you can look around i'm sure there's all kinds of new cultivars coming out every day and uh just try out different ones and see what you like if you find one that you think is great um you know we'd love to hear about it awesome thanks ray so i had another question for you um, just in terms of if growing and cultivating your own cannabis has affected your perspective on cannabis as a healthy alternative, say, to alcohol or other substances? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, definitely it's influenced the way that I perceive cannabis. Um, you know, before I got involved with cultivating it and seeing it through the process of its growth, it was just the product to me. I just saw the finished product. I didn't see the plant. I didn't see the seedling. I didn't see the seed. I didn't see the growth of it. And um, getting to see it through all of its stages of growth and, and through the life of the plant has really given me appreciation for what the finished product actually is. And it's kind of changed my perspective on what is being consumed, um, where you don't, you can't have that same relationship with alcohol um you can try brewing your own cider or your own beer and stuff but everything that you're going to get to brew it is going to have to be purchased you're going to have to purchase your your yeast you're going to have to purchase whatever your hops and everything you're adding into there you could try and try and grow it all and i'm sure some people do that's awesome um but you can have a very um unique relationship with your product when you're when you're growing it and you know exactly where it's coming from you know exactly what is going into it and so i think it's a lot easier to trust when when it's coming from from you and if you're practicing um harm reduction and you're using it responsibly i think that is a great alternative to alcohol awesome we have a few questions we'll get to now from the chat so we'll start with Molly, who has a great question. Um, she is wondering what the difference is between a stream and a cultivar. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of people actually um, have that same question. They might be wondering, what's this guy talking about a cultivar? I, I've only heard of strains. And um, strain is kind of like a slang term, um, similar to how people used to call cannabis marijuana. Um, there also came other words when we started describing the different species um, or varieties would be a better word of cannabis. So a cultivar is still cannabis and it's still either indica or sativa, but what makes it unique is all of the qualities and characteristics that come along with that cultivar. It's the same as a strain, it's just a different word for strain. Awesome, great question and thank you for sharing. Next, we have a question from John. Um, do you have an opinion about soil types and wondering what you may know about mixing cocoa and promix type mediums? Yeah, that's great. Actually, um, good, good question. I, I personally love um, cocoa coir. Co coir is a great um, growing media. Um, we like 
using uh, just pure cocoa and we would um, uh, pre-mix pre it with some amendments to give it a nice um, amount of nutrients. Um, <clears throat> I guess it would depend on what your pro-mix uh, medium would be if you're using like a BM3 or, or BM2 or something and mixing it in with the cocoa coir. I'm sure that would be great. Cocoa coir is great for drainage. Um, you know, you, you toss your water in, really it doesn't have much water retention at all. It, it pretty well waters very, it waters very quickly. Um, so I would say if you're mixing cocoa and, and pro mix, you know, just, um, I guess it, it depends on what you're looking for because a cocoa is a soilless mix. So you'd probably want to mix it with a soilless pro mix, um, just to stay true to that, unless you were trying to just, um, reduce how how heavy of a of a soil mix that you have and you want to mix in that coir um but i i would recommend definitely using cocoa coir awesome so we have a translated question from mabel um she's wondering if you have any experience with medicinal cannabis uh, specifically for people with fibromyalgia and if there's a type of seed or strain that is best and I just want to preface this by saying um, this conversation is more around cultivating for your personal use. That doesn't mean it can't be used medicinally, but um, we are definitely not experts in different medical conditions and, and what the best strains um, or types would be for those. And I think one thing I would just want to add really quickly is that if you are purchasing medicinal cannabis or working with a doctor to find this sort of thing, there are many types of people with lots of expertise who can kind of guide you in this area. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Christy says, you know, um, I personally don't have experience uh, with medical ca cannabis for people with fibromyalgia. Um, and I personally wouldn't be able to recommend um, any particular seed or cultivar. Yeah, one thing I'll, I'll add here as well. Um, so just a little bit about me, my background is that I, I have a master's degree in public health and I've studied a lot around mental health and um, substances, specifically cannabis. And so because cannabis is new to be legalized in Canada, um, we're still catching up on a lot of the research piece around what it is and isn't effective for. So there may take a little bit of time um, before that research catches up to where we are now in, in terms of different types of medical uses and that sort of thing. Um, so it's definitely a growing area to pay attention to different types of uh, medical uses and different specific air, uh, types of cannabis or strains and that sort of thing that would be best. Awesome. Is there any other tips and tricks that you've learned along the way um, as you've been cultivating your own cannabis or cultivars now that we know what to call them <laughs> uh, yeah. that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, definitely. And actually uh, something that I wanted to touch on too, just on, um, Jumping back a little bit, when when we're talking about um, measuring your your THC and your CBD and and how you're going to influence that, there is an option to get an in-depth analysis of your cannabis profile. If you purchase a um, what's called a CAT, which is a cannabinoid analysis test, you can. Um, I, I personally have no experience using them. Uh, I'll preface it with that. Um, however, I have done some research into it and. Um, 
I've found a very highly reviewed one called the Alpha Cat. And this test uh, tests CBD, CBN, CBG, CBC, and THC and THCV. Only one tenth of a gram is needed, and it takes a little bit over 30 minutes, but it gives you the full profile analysis of your cannabis. So, um, you know, if I had a, a tip for those people who really want to know exactly what they're consuming, it would be you can you can buy one of these kits and, and totally know exactly what's going into your body. It's, it's about one hundred and sixty five dollars for eight tests. Um, like I said, I have no affiliation with them and I've never used them. Um, but reading the reviews online, I would I would recommend reading it before obviously making any purchases. But that's a great option for those people who really want to know. Um, as for some pro tips, um, some things that I would recommend is, is making sure to open up the feet of your plant for airflow. So you're going to see a whole bunch of, um, shoots come up, uh, around the base of your plant, around the, the feet of your plant. If you leave these things to crowd up there, there's going to be moisture caught as the soil evaporates water and, um, it's going to be very dark and and you just want to kind of open it up, remove all of these shoots and the sucker growth, any larfy, leafy stuff that you see growing there, snip it away and open it up. It just allows for more airflow to um, allow the, the plants to have a better chance. Um, also, make sure you're watering your, your plants that are planted outdoors in the ground often. That's very important. <clears throat> um, and you're cleaning your indoor grows because um, if you're growing repeatedly over and over and you're not cleaning in between your grows, there's a chance you could be introducing contaminants from your previous grows and you could end up with like springtails or fungus gnats or all kinds of pests that, that you don't want. You want to be responsive to problems. If once it happens, you don't want to wait to respond to it. You want to kind of approach it as soon as you can and deal with it um, in the least um synthetic way i guess like that's the best way as you can so you know the best thing to do would be to physically remove it if you can um and when you're covering your plants if you or staking them or supporting them whatever avoid using wires or anything really hard that can put pressure into the plants and hurt them you want to use something with a large surface area that's soft that is you know, something, something kind of like a, a piece of paper or something like that, that um, not literally a piece of paper, but you know, like a, a square cloth, a rectangular cloth that can go around and have a large surface area. So you don't have a concentrated amount of pressure over one area on it because you can cause damage to the stem. And if some wind blows in or something like that, I actually had a, a fellow message me a few days ago telling me about uh, his cannabis plant breaking because he had a, a stake, a bamboo stake in the ground, and he he tied it with a wire to the stake. He weakened the plant, some wind came through, and he blew his entire top over. Um, so you want to avoid that, of course. When you're when you're watering um, or you're you're looking about your water source, try and ensure that your water source is not transparent you don't want sunlight coming into where your water source is that you're keeping water so say you have a jug of water you don't want sunlight hitting it because sunlight can encourage the growths of of algae or like whatever kinds of um, microbial life and that can cause problems so if you can keep it protected from the sunlight that would be a great step in 
um, harm reduction and preventing these these growths and future problems. And uh, something that I think is important to say again is uh, inspect your product. Take a look at it with a loop or a jeweler's loop or something. Make sure there's no fungus on it. There's no mold. There's no insects inside of it. Um, mold likes growing in cold, damp, and dark places. So avoid putting your cannabis in cold, damp, and dark places. And if it is in an area like that, see if you can move it um, because there's some serious risks. If you are consuming a um, moldy plant, you could have a, a bad experience. Um, yeah, and, and you just want to know what you're putting in your body, I think, is is what you want to take away from this. You, you should know what you grow and know what you're taking in. That's why I always recommend using organic fertilizers rather than synthetics. Manure is great. Using um, fish emulsion, using worm castings, using, um, you know, bat guano, things like that. That's great. Um, it's, it's much better if you know what you're putting into your body than just going to the store, grabbing a container of miracle Go grow, throwing it on your plant and, you know, just letting it happen because you don't really know what you're taking in. Yeah. Awesome. Those are really great tips. And maybe I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute, but maybe we can uh, summarize those in a blog post later to share on our website so that people can come back and have access to those. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So we'll take a few more questions from the chat. So John is wondering if you use topping or or fem femming. femming techniques, sorry, not a horticulturist. And if so, any opinion on which yields better? Yeah, so um, I've topped some plants. I personally don't fem them. Um, I prefer low stress training. So, so topping would be when you just cut off the top of it. And when you cut off the top of your plant, it has like a hydra effect where you'll have more shoots coming up out of it. You'll have a couple more grow out. And uh, femming is when you kind of break it off early. Um, I don't really actually know that much about femming. I've, I've heard of some colleagues using it. I personally have never used femming. I prefer uh, SCROG, which is stands for screen of green. So what you can do is you take a net and you put it over top of your plants. And then what you'll do is as your plants grow up into the net, you bend it over and what happens is you're you're spreading out your plant, but allowing more shoots to come up because as you lower it, your plant fights for what's called apical dominance. So another shoot will try to come up and be the dominant shoot. And as that shoot grows up, you take it and you bend it over into the into the screen as well. And another shoot will come up and fight for apical dominance. So that's one recommended method. Um, that, that I have, and it's pretty low stress. I prefer not to stress my plants out and, and topping can put quite a bit of stress. Same with thimming. I'm sure it's very effective. It's not the way that I like to do it though, personally. Um, also low stress training is a great technique. So what you would do is you would take a soft um, garden wire, for example. So it would be one of those rubber coated wires that's very thick rubber. So you're not harming the plant and you would take it and bend it over similar like scrog and attach it to the bottom of your your container or maybe to a stake in the ground so you're lowering it down spreading out the plants um width but when you do that you're lowering it and another shoot will come up fighting for that apical dominance and you tie that one down and you can only do that while they're young and tender and, and malleable 
And as they start to harden off, you, you lose the ability to bend it over. You don't want to snap it. But those are some ways that I like to increase my yields. And I find those low stress techniques work really well. Um, topping is, you know, it's pretty proven that it does a good job and it makes a more dense bud. Um, but I guess it's, it's all about what you want to grow. And, uh, there is the possibility, depending on what you're growing and how much you're transplanting and whatever, that you could put too much stress under your plant and it could completely abandon the budding cycle. So, um, you know, if you're doing that, make sure other than when you're doing those um, high stress techniques like topping and thimming, that you aren't putting your plant under too much stress. You're not forgetting to water it. You're not forgetting to feed it. You've got to kind of stay on the ball when you're using techniques like that. Awesome. Great question. Okay, Ray is wondering what some reliable sources are for getting CBD seeds and maybe seeds in general. I think this was a, is a good one that we could answer. Yeah, so um, for getting seeds in general, there's all kinds of um, sources and it depends also on your province's uh, legislature on, on whether you have to go through their specific stores or if you can just purchase them from a seed vendor. Um, I re would recommend if you're going to be, you know, if you're in Ontario and you're purchasing CBD sense, uh, seeds, I would recommend going through Dynafem. Excuse me. They have um, the Dynamed seeds, which are the ones that I recommended before, which are about 14% CBD with less than 1% THC. And they grow great. Um, they have a short growth habit, about 24 to 30 inches and they're much more of a wide plant. Um, they fill out and they thicken up nicely and they're very dense. Um, and, you know, if you're just looking for seeds, definitely search um, Ontario or British Columbia or Yukon seeds, and you can find um, government approved uh, seeds uh, people, people who are allowed to be selling them. And you just want to make sure, uh, depending on your province, that you're you're shopping around for that specifically. Um, in Ontario, we were pretty lenient with that, um, but I, I don't know about other provinces. Yeah, if you're if you're ever not sure, on the same website you mentioned, the justice.gc.ca, where the Cannabis Act is, you can also look up legislated suppliers um that are in each province so if you're ever not sure say you're coming across something online you're not sure if this is a licensed store you can very easily look it up through the government website good question thank you so john is wondering what type of amendments you use and are these safer for smoking yeah so i um again i'm not affiliated or endorsed by any um companies or anything but i prefer gaia green organic supplements uh or amendments they are always um 100 organic so they'll use things like uh, bat guano bone meal um they'll use fish emulsion they'll use worm castings things like that so i would recommend looking into gaia green organic amendments and uh Every ingredient, if you look on the back, they'll they'll have mixes. Um, they they have like pro bloom, all purpose, things like that. You want to pick your amendments based on what cycle you're you're in. So you know if you're just starting starting out to your grow, you you'll want to use your all purpose. And then as you get into flower, grab like a super bloom uh, amendment. Um, 
But if you're looking at the ingredients list, what's great about it is you'll recognize everything that you read. And that's really what's important to me is that you can read the ingredients and know what it is that you're putting into your plants. It, as if, as for being safer for smoking, there's a lot of debate around whether synthetic fertilizers are harmful for your health. Um, and not only within the, um, the cannabis industry, but within agriculture in general. And it's debated because um, people haven't really came across a solid answer yet. So I don't have a solid answer for whether it's safer, but I personally feel more comfortable using something that I know comes from nature and is meant to go back into nature. Um, that's just my comfort level. Some people are comfortable using synthetic amendments. And uh, I say just, you know, follow your heart and uh, do what you feel safe doing. Yeah, and I think this is another area where the research is on its way to catching up, but it's not quite there yet. So we may not have a firm answer for you now, but I'm sure in the near future, someone will be able to um, provide a little more clarity around that question. Totally. We'll go to your next question as well, John, um, just around should pruning paint be used to seal the stem? Oh, see, that's um, that's a, a very controversial um, question. And, you know, that's a great question. I personally don't recommend pruning paint. Um, I work professionally um, as both a horticulturalist and an arborist, as well as um, doing uh, home cultivation of cannabis. And within my industry, um, there is a lot of dispute on pruning paint in general in horticultural applications. Um, when I'm pruning trees, doing work on those, we never use pruning paint because trees naturally produce um, hormones to produce what's called coated, which will roll over the cuts and the stems. Same thing with plants. They naturally will heal over these wounds. What you would want to do if you have a break is depending on if if you you can put the plant back together you could possibly do almost like a graft where where you lift it over and you support it using a stake and um, a nice comfortable um, support for it so like I said that garden um, rubber coated wire would be nice and then you can just use um, grafting tape to go around it and hope that the plant will seal back together using that grafting tape what you can also do if it's broken off and there's no chance of grafting it back together and, and hoping that those um, the xylem and phloem reconnect and continue growing is you can just use your uh, secateurs, your, your pruning shears, and just snip it to create a nice even cut. It will make it a lot easier for the plant to heal over so that you're not um, having this big, um, ugly scar of broken stem it's it's a lot easier it's a nice smooth transition healing but as for any kind of thing to coat over it the plant does that itself it has um has hormones to to do that and by putting the pruning paint over top of it you're restricting the plant's ability to use its natural healing it's like if you put tar over a scar on your body and you didn't let your 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 cut heal over you know you didn't let it scab over um that that scab that the plant produces is going to heal much better than the pruning paint will awesome 
Thank you for these great questions, John. This is very helpful. So now we'll go to a question from Heather. And we, we touched a little bit on this, but maybe we can go even more in depth. So what is the difference between growing cannabis with chemicals to growing without? Are the buds still dense? And is there a lack of trichomes? Yeah, great, great question, Heather. Um, you know, so when, when we say growing chemicals, you know, uh, truly, like we're talking um, synthetic fertilizers and and per, uh, pesticides, and um, I'm sure that's what you're meaning as well. And uh, using these things, you know, you can grow um, dense buds. You can grow um, cannabis with lots of trichomes. The reason we try and avoid that is just for, um, like like I mentioned for myself, I prefer knowing what I'm putting into my plant and knowing what it's uptaking. You can still grow beautiful plants that have dense buds with a synthetic um, fertilizer. That's why they sell so well. Miracle Grow is a top seller um, because it, it works really well. And if you're growing flowers in your garden, I would 100 percent recommend you use it at its recommended application rate. If you're using too much of it, it will leach through the soil into our water table and can can cause um, like some toxicity and poisoning to our environment. We don't want to cause environmental damage, so we use it at the recommended application rate. But personally, in my own personal experience, I prefer to use organic amendments because I feel more comfortable with it. Is it more effective than um, using synthetic fertilizers? Well, that's debatable. And uh, people are going to continue to debate that. And that's the way it goes. So yeah, you can still grow beautiful plants using uh, synthetic fertilizers and even, unfortunately, using pesticides. But I do not recommend using pesticides. And if you feel comfortable using synthetic fertilizers, um, that's more okay than using pesticides. And just to her other questions as well. So do the buds still turn out dense and is there a lack of trichomes? Yeah, no, they can still turn out dense. They, they Like I said, they, the plants can still be great plants. You can still have nice dense buds and you can still have um, plenty of trichomes with great development. It won't impede the development of your plants at all. It, it will still produce like like it's supposed to. Awesome. Good question. Thank you, Heather. So we have another question from Mabel um, that I may take the first stab at if that's okay. So given that this plant can be used for both medicinal and recreational purposes, what is the effect of recreational or leisurely smoking in adolescence? Um, so our recommendation at Exploring the Link is that you delay use while your brain is still maturing. And from what we know, the brain is still maturing up to age 25. So if you're using cannabis when you're quite young and you're an adolescent, it can really affect your brain development and can potentially cause problems. Um, keeping that in mind, everyone is different. So it's going to affect different people differently. But the general recommendation and part of the reason why the age limit is 19 or higher, excuse me, is that um, because it's such a sensitive period of development and the potential for something negative to happen is higher in adolescence. Um, we generally recommend delaying use until you're older, as well as using lower THC, um, especially while your brain is still developing. And if you're not sure what you're doing or it's your first time trying or that sort of thing, um, I think John said this earlier, but you go slow and start low. So that's a um, so in general, for exploring the link, 
and just personally, we, we don't recommend use in adolescence. We really recommend. Do you have anything you want to add there, John? <laughs> All right, I'm totally uh, hitting the nail on the head there. It's definitely um, something that you want um, just to give yourself the the best opportunity you can to, um, to develop um, mentally. Awesome. Good question. I think you've answered all of my questions, John. I feel like I could go plant a whole garden now with all the knowledge you've shared. Um, is there anything else you wanna leave us with in the last few minutes as we wrap up our Ask the Expert question, uh, session for this evening? Um, I guess uh, I'll just leave, leave you with um, the idea that, that when you begin growing, it's natural to have some failures and to have some plants die and to not let it discourage you um, because every single one of those failures brings you closer to success. And if you're just beginning, then you have a much higher chance, unfortunately, of failure. Um, but as you continue to learn, you're going to um, become better. And before you know it, it's gonna be like second nature. It's not, it's not rocket science. And um, anybody can do it if you have the proper space and um, the right attitude. And so I think it's important to embrace it with a student um, mindset and be just ready for um, failures and to look at each failure as a step towards success. Awesome, and do your research. I think I was hearing that a lot from you, yeah. Yeah, it makes make yeah. it a lot more likely for success if you're doing your research. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, one one last question, totally optional if you want to answer. Oops. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> um, do you have a personal favorite strain and why? And again, totally optional question. Personal favorite. Um, truly, no. Uh, no, I, I don't think I do. Um, no, I think that there's a lot of different cultivars out there with a lot of different um, reasons for using them, whether you're looking for an uplifting, energetic experience or whether you want to chill out on the couch and eat a bag of chips and watch a movie. Um, I think it all depends on what you want to do. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. So I think you kind of got to look around. Uh, obviously going low and slow when you're doing anything that you've never done before. Um, and yeah, just, I, I think that it's, it's great to look around. If, if you're looking for something new to, to try growing, you know, um, maybe there's a, there's an award-winning cultivar called Gorilla Glue number four, and people seem to love it. So, you know, if you want to grow a plant that's won lots of cannabis cups, try growing Gorilla Glue number four. Apparently it's really good. <laughs> awesome. I think we'll end it there. John, thank you so much. I think I can speak for all our lovely viewers that we all learned a lot. Um, and it was really great to hear your perspective on how to grow safer and smarter. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate you tuning in. And we'll follow this up with um, on the blog with some tips and tricks that we learned from our lovely expert, John Fry. So thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Take care.